Buzzard writes in, CJ Anderson can't control his opponent's mansion. When the lights come on, he just produces. Yes. Yes, he does. When the lights come on. I love envisioning CJ Anderson standing in the middle of a football field. The lights come on. Zoom. Floodlights. Electricity. There's CJ Anderson producing. He was outstanding last year. I don't dispute that. CJ Anderson's 2014 was outstanding. It was excellent. We've talked about this. We talked about it on the last show, on Thursday's show, which is what this buzzard is referencing. But his efficiency last year was aided by more significant randomness than any other running back in the NFL. And regardless of how efficient he was last year, I always discount the players with the eight-game sample sizes before even looking at their schedules, before even looking at their efficiency or their productivity. If you've started eight games in your professional career, you are going to be heavily discounted when I sit down and do my rankings. And that's what I was lamenting on the last show, was I'm seeing experts ranking C.J. Anderson number one on their board. And we've seen this time and time again when you go through this exercise of extrapolating a player's statistics from an eight-game sample out to a 16-game sample, more often than not, the model falls apart and the player misses expectations. And I believe that's what's going to happen with C.J. Anderson. And then people are writing in, buzzards are writing in, but you have C.J. Anderson still ranked in your top 10. Yeah, I, I know. Of course I have him ranked in the, in the top 10. But that doesn't mean that I would take him in the first round. There's a handful of running backs I would like to take in the first round, and then after that, I'm taking wide receivers. I wouldn't take C.J. Anderson until the third round. There is a gap after DeMarco Murray and Eddie Lacy. There is a gap in comfort level that I have with the running backs in this draft class, in this fantasy draft class. Now, it also amazes me, something else we talked about on last, last show on Thursday, was this cognitive dissonance that's required to tout C.J. Anderson as both a commodity and a zero RB poster child in 2014, and then recommend drafting him as the number one overall player in 2015. Like, that cognitive dissonance just amazes me by itself, if you think about it. Oh, you should definitely do zero RB. You can just pick up C.J. Anderson. He's a running back on a high-powered offense. Doesn't even matter if he's talented or not. You can get him off the waiver wire and still win your league, even if you don't take a running back at all in the first 10 rounds. It's easy. Zero RB rules. Oh, that same running back, that same commoditized running back that you scooped off the waiver wire, and the only reason he's productive is because he plays in a high-powered offense, according to you? Yeah, now you're going to go ahead and turn around and tout that player as a a first-round pick. Okay. I don't... My brain is, that's that's the sound of my brain melting, trying to figure that one out. And zero RB is, is a very sound theory. And it is also an optimal roster construction device in practice, depending on what your league mates are doing. But those that wave it around as the only tactic that makes sense are just puzzling to me. Because because it, it the whole their whole argument that zero RB is the only way to go, it's the right way to draft. It's always predicated on finding these unicorns, 
like Justin Forsett and C.J. Anderson on the waiver wire, even though you're competing against 11 other owners who are also trying to find said players on the waiver wire. That's hard. That's like trying to hit fadeaway jumpers. If, if you were a basketball player and you have the opportunity of shooting a, a wide-open jumper, choosing to shoot a fadeaway jumper even when a wide-open standstill jumper is available to you. That's the analogy that I use when, when I see people implementing zero RB in instances where it's likely not optimal for them. And then I keep reading these articles, recounting these best-case zero RB scenarios. Oh, yeah, I, I went and did zero RB last year, then I went ahead and scooped up Justin Forsett and C.J. Anderson on the waiver wire and won the league. It's a great strategy. I'm implementing it everywhere. I only do zero RB now. I would never not do zero RB. Who are these people that aren't doing zero RB? You drafted a running back in the first round? Ew! But where are the articles, though? Okay, so I, I get it. Congratulations. You drafted Justin Forsett. And C.J. Anderson last year, you're a genius. Or the other 11 people in your league stopped logging in, one of the two. But where are the articles about the guys that finished last last year, the fantasy gamers that finished last because they were starting Lance Dunbar and Bernard Pierce? Where are they? Where are those articles? Are those articles not getting clicks? They're not getting click traffic? It's funny. Yeah, those articles, just you don't remember those articles. It's like nostalgia, right? You don't remember those particular fantasy teams. Those particular fantasy teams are lost in the sands of time. You might have 10 teams, but the one you remember is that one where you drafted Odell Beckham and Jeremy Hill, and then you picked up C.J. Anderson and Justin Forsett off the waiver wire. Gee, that I remember that team very well. Oh, yeah. Nostalgia is powerful. Nostalgia is powerful. And in the last show, I told a story about how I took a trip to Maine a few weeks ago, and I was in a golf tournament, and I walked away from that golf tournament when I was leading going into the final round because I promised my family I would spend more time with them. So that's that happened. And some of you wrote in, hey, do you have any other stories from Maine? And I do. It, it made me think when I was thinking of nostalgia, the nostalgia that infects a lot of these zero RB testimonials. I was thinking of a, a time when I was in Maine when nostalgia did sort of wash over me. It was interesting. My dad, he runs a horse farm, and one of the things that he loves, I think the thing he enjoys most in life, is just running the farm. He's at his happiest when he is on the tractor. That's where he loves to be. I love to be in a draft room. Not a slow draft, a live draft. If you look at my face when I'm in a live draft... It's focused and happy. It's this strange, it's a unique, I don't want to say strange, it's a unique joy, I think, that you'll, that you'll perceive emanating from my being when you see me in a live draft scenario. I don't necessarily look overtly happy, but you can tell I'm focused and yet content. And that's how I would describe my father when he's on the tractor. And we bale hay. That's what we do to feed the horses. And he's getting up there in age. He's, he's, he's pushing 70 now. But it doesn't matter. He's, he's the man. He's one of those guys they don't make anymore. 
they just don't I didn't go to I didn't go to college or high school with anyone like my dad. They don't make anyone like that anymore. It's just a different kind of person. There's a level of toughness there that just it has been nurtured out of at least the demographics that I run with. So it's July and it's time to hay and I'm there just the timing aligns where I can help my dad hay and I'm happy to do it. Go out in the field, grab the bales, put them on the truck, stack them up, bring them in the barn, put them on the escalator, stack them in the barn. It's hard work. It really is. You have to wear a mask and I actually wear goggles too because the, the, the chaff, the hay chaff gets in your eyes. It's, it's, it's grueling. And if you do it all day in 80 degree sun, it's, it's tough. It really is. But he hired three guys that were 19, 20 college age guys. And so it was the four of us. And we had a, we had a, probably a thousand bales we had to put in. So it was a big, it was going to be a full afternoon with four guys doing this with my dad and, and someone else on, on the couple tractors. So as it turns out, halfway through, all of these young guys had tapped out. One of them had hay fever. Another one cut his arm. Another one was, was sort of getting a heat stroke situation where he was overheating. And I'm sitting there going, wait a second. And then they, then they just, they all left. They said, hey, we got to go. Thanks. We got to go. And now it's just me. And I'm putting in all these bales by myself and it's slow going. And then my dad finishes bailing. And we have a couple trailers full of hay that, that are left to put in the barn. And it's just he and I. And I haven't felt a nostalgia like that in a long time. Like it was just dad and I in the barn and it was it was getting dark we had to turn the lights on because the day had gone into night I had, had lost some feeling in the tips of my fingers and I was at a, a place of tired which you it, it's kind of hard to describe that place no level of exercise in, in again in our in our normal white polo shirt society at least the one I live in can, can never come close to the level of tired that I felt, but I didn't really ever consider sitting down or telling my dad, oh, we, we need to take a break because he's going at my speed. He's in his late 60s. This is a man. This is a man, people. <laughs> and I just, a couple, uh, there were a couple moments when we were handing bales off to one another and we were almost there, and I just looked at him, and I said, you're my dad, and I'm really proud, and this is amazing, what we're doing. And those three guys that were helping us, they don't matter. And we did it without them, just you and I, like 20 years ago. And that was really cool. So that was another, I think, I think that's like zero RB. Right? Isn't that like zero RB thinking back? Because that was powerful. That was powerful. And I only thought back. Remember, I'm thinking back. Uh, tears are, are literally welling up in my eyes, not because of nostalgia, but because uh, the hay is, is stuck to my eyeballs, okay? Like needles. So I'm, I'm crying, but not necessarily because of the nostalgia. Maybe both. It was nostalgia and pieces of hay in my eyes, okay? Regardless. That's how nostalgia works 
is that when I was thinking back to when I was a kid and bailing hay with my dad, I wasn't thinking about the times he yelled at me. I wasn't thinking about the time that I tipped the trailer over and he essentially disowned me, undressed me, not literally, but verbally undressed me in front of a bunch of people and I cried and ran home and I hated him. I wasn't thinking about any of those moments when we were unloading that final trailer. I was only thinking about the best times. I was thinking about the times when I was 16 and I was sitting on top of the hay and he was driving the tractor and we were happy. And that's the, the how nostalgia warps your memory, I think is how zero RB has become so popular because people's memories are warped. Well, you see, I once won a league because I drafted no Sean Moreno and Ahmad Bradshaw, and they both produced like RB1s that year. Hey, congratulations! You picked up the two guys off waivers you needed to pick up. The one in, If there's 12 people in your league, it's a 1 in 12 chance multiplied by a 1 in 12 chance. You hit the 1 out of 144 double RB league winning pickup. Congratulations. But it's a selective memory problem. That's what nostalgia does. Nostalgia powers selective memory. Oh, I'll just grab C.J. Anderson and Justin Forsett just like I did last year and win my league again this year with zero RB. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, 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 no, yes, that's, that's absolutely going to happen. Go ahead and do that. It's also a little bit like it reminds me also of watching hunting on television, like time-lapsed video. It seems like these guys climb a tree, and then three minutes later, a 12-point buck is walking in the field, it stands still, and they shoot it dead. Now, I've been hunting. Hunting is, by the way, hunting seems to be getting a bad reputation lately. A lot of hunters are being exposed on social media for being these morbid destroyers of endangered species and habitat. But that's, that's not what we're going to talk about today. But I've been hunting, so I can't, you know, I can't rain judgment down on the hunters of the world because I have been hunting. The problem is when you go out hunting in the actual woods, not on television, with an actual gun, you almost never see that elk. And then if you do see the elk, by the time you hoist your gun and aim and, 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 and stop shaking because you're so nervous, the thing's gone. It's out of sight. It's just rarely successful. And when it is, it doesn't take three minutes. So that's pretty much... That pretty much sums up the whole idea of, of simply going out and grabbing the next RB1 off the waiver wire to properly execute your zero RB strategy. You know, good luck with that elk hunt. Good luck. And we had another buzzard right in on the same topic. You say your analysis is data-driven, and then you give us no data to back up your claim that zero RB is a bad strategy. So first of all, I never said zero RB is a bad strategy. I said zero RB is not a strategy that you should implement every time. It is not something that you should be intractable about. But actually, our data suggests that zero RB is the optimal strategy, sometimes. But it's just not optimal in a draft master format, for example where your lack of free agent options completely neuters the entire strategy. 
In Draftmaster, like MFL 10s, you know, good luck with your 14th round running back and it's 25% chance of relevancy. And then you don't have their waiver wire for relief. You know, good luck with that one. In our bust rate data that we collected, it suggests that you either take a running back in the first couple rounds or you wait until round 10 or beyond. So you really have two options. Take a running back early or go zero RB. So I absolutely think zero RB is a sound strategy to implement depending on how the draft plays out, depending on what your league mates do. It also illustrates our findings, our bust rate findings, that you really should be waiting until round 10 or beyond to draft a running back if you don't get one in the first couple rounds. It also illustrates a pet peeve I have about zero RB. If you take a running back in round six, that's not exactly zero RB, is it? But you hear people talking about how they implemented zero RB, and then you see they drafted a running back in round six, and you're like, huh? What? I mean, I get it. I mean, zero RB isn't a literal definition of a strategy. It doesn't actually mean you draft zero running backs. It's a figurative definition. I understand it's a figurative definition. But figuratively, it still means late round running back, doesn't it? It's not, well, late or kind of early, maybe middle rounds running back. It doesn't mean that in any figurative sense. And again, if you are going to do zero RB, our data suggests that you implement zero RB as it was originally conceived. Don't implement some Frankenstein, not too early running back version, which is what I see so many people implementing now. Those that still want to make sure they can get Isaiah Crowell. So the, the literal definition, the literal label for zero RB really should be latish RB. And when you choose to implement it, you need to really mean it. But to go back to the data that we collected, the research that we did at Roto Underworld for playerprofiler.com found that draft capital adjusted bust rate, not just the, the, the general bust rate across all running backs, but the draft capital bust rate for running backs, meaning that running backs drafted in the early rounds have a higher standard. That bust rate quickly climbs from 40% in the first few rounds up to 55 and then 60% starting in round five. And then eventually it crests 90% by the time you get to the end of the draft where very, very few running backs actually hit. And what that tells me is that, particularly in a draft master format, you need to draft DeMarco Murray or Eddie Lacy in the first round. And if you somehow get sniped on DeMarco Murray or Eddie Lacy, try to get your hands on Jeremy Hill or Melvin Gordon in the next few rounds. And then if you get sniped on those players, then fall back on zero RB. Zero RB is absolutely a sound fallback tactic. It's just not a good plan A. It's not a good plan A primarily because in the last couple years, it's become so popular. So I implement zero RB. I have zero RB in my holster as a safety net draft concept. It's a plan that I audible to when my preconceived running back plans are extinguished by my league mates. It, but it shouldn't be an approach that you lock yourself into and then preach like it's some kind of zombie religion. Now, speaking of zombies, Bill Barnwell today wrote a fantasy piece for Grantland. Aw, Bill, thanks. 
His article is called Putting Sleepers to Bed. Now, I love it when regular sports writers dip their toes in the fantasy pool because I love unintentional comedy. The thing is, when I was reading his piece on Grantland about fantasy football, I remembered, hey, wait, wasn't Grantland supposed to have a fantasy expert writer on staff? Didn't they have a whole contest called Fantasy Island? And the winner was going to be a full-time writer for Grantland about fantasy? Whatever happened to that? Anyone? So now they're stuck with Bill Barnwell writing about fantasy, and that's just not optimal. And essentially, his piece argues that the term sleeper is obsolete. And he tells us we shouldn't be using it anymore. And here are his reasons why. His first reason is, so he laments the fact, he starts the piece by lamenting the fact that taking DeMarco Murray last year in the second round was actually not considered drafting a sleeper. Okay, no, DeMarco Murray is not a sleeper. He never has been. So why are we talking about DeMarco Murray in a sleeper piece? I don't know. Then Bill Barnwell pivots from this frustration to a new frustration. His second frustration is that nobody knows what qualifies as a successful sleeper. And then he laments the fact that Emmanuel Sanders may or may not be considered a sleeper. Because Emmanuel Sanders was a player he was touting in the eighth round last year. So, But no, Bill, no, no, Emmanuel Sanders did not qualify as a sleeper last year. People are, they're still drafting starters in the first round. So no, you don't need to worry about classifying Emmanuel Sanders in 2014 as a sleeper. So already he's, he's lamenting, DeMarco Murray and Emmanuel Sanders can't be considered sleepers. Aww, what am I going to do? This stinks. I wish they were sleepers, but they're not. They were drafted too early. But this was uh, the, the main thrust of the piece was Bill Barnwell's frustration with the definition of sleeper. What does a sleeper even mean anymore? Oh, forget it. I don't want to call anyone a sleeper anymore. Let's just ditch the term altogether. Even though a five-year-old who plays fantasy football for the first time, knows what a sleeper is, Bill. A sleeper is a player drafted in the final five to ten rounds of a league, depending on the league's roster size, who becomes an every-week starter eventually during the season and frequently shows up on league-winning rosters at the end of the year. That's a successful sleeper. That's it. It's simple. It's a late-round pick that hits. I mean, how hard is that? To figure out. It's not DeMarco Murray, and it's not Emmanuel Sanders. DeMarco Murray, if you want to put a label on him, he was a high-floor stud running back last year. And Emmanuel Sanders in 2014 was a situation-based value pick. That wasn't so hard. You can tweet me, at Fantasy underscore Mansion, on Twitter, Bill, and I'll give you the labeling system for these players if you're curious. I know you want to call everyone a sleeper, and if you can't call everyone a sleeper, we're not allowed to call anyone a sleeper, but... It's just not that hard. And the whole piece was basically talking down to the audience and explaining to them why we shouldn't be using the word sleeper in our lexicon. No, no, no. Wagging a finger at us for uttering or writing down the word sleeper. What's the number one reason people loathe sports columnists? The answer is because they talk down to us. And that's what Bill Barnwell did in this column. Because Bill Barnwell doesn't know what a sleeper is, he believes that we should just eliminate the term from our collective lexicon. Mmm, okay, no. 
You are not our fascist dictator commanding and controlling the world of fantasy sports, Bill. But thanks for your column, I guess. Appreciate ya. Thing is, though, I mean, I'm only talking about Bill Barnwell right now because Bill Barnwell is not a nobody. He's not one of these knucklehead fantasy gamers. He's not one of these hack writers that we lament on this show. Bill Barnwell invented speed score. I revere the guy. But I also revered my grandfather. And he said some pretty asinine things near the end. So Bill Barnwell goes on. It's not just this. It, it wasn't a simple column just lamenting the term sleeper and how that he doesn't know what it means and therefore we shouldn't be using the term. He goes on. Bill Barnwell's other frustration is that, get this, there are simultaneously too many and too few sleeper candidates in fantasy football nowadays. Technically, there are over 100 sleeper candidates. But Bill Barnwell goes on to say that in the internet age... Now everybody knows all the obvious candidates, like Carlos Hyde, who he picked last year. Wait, what? Carlos Hyde? Huh? What? Huh? Also, the internet has been around for 20 years, Bill. And if anything, I believe the additional information that this current environment that we live in, this all-access pass to analytics on players and advanced metrics and more articles than we've ever had at our disposal. I believe that this additional information, this avalanche of data that we have now on NFL players actually creates more noise than was created previously. And it actually makes it easier to exploit market inefficiencies on draft day. For me, this the prevalence of content, of fantasy content, actually makes finding sleepers easier. Now, another arrow in Barnwell's quiver that he was using to shoot down the term sleeper was, again, that sleepers are obsolete. And one of the reasons is because the best sleepers go undrafted, so those don't count. Okay, now, I'm not sure what eight-team leagues Bill Barnwell was playing in last year, but I can assure you that that's not accurate. Justin Forsett and C.J. Anderson did absolutely go undrafted in many leagues, but not all leagues, in 2014. But that fact is sort of irrelevant because I still consider, and I think most people would consider, Justin Forsett and C.J. Anderson sleepers. They were absolutely sleepers last year. Just because they weren't drafted doesn't mean they're not a sleeper. Where did you come up with that one, Bill? If you want to know what the precise label for someone like C.J. Anderson or Justin Forsett is, they're called deep sleepers. Again, you can email the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter to contact us, contact the show on Twitter, or email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Bill, contact us. We will give you these labels if you're looking for them. Barnwell is also flat wrong that the best sleepers go undrafted. In the money leagues that I was a part of in 2014, the most impactful league-winning sleepers were drafted. Odell Beckham, Jeremy Hill, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. Drafted. But if you keep reading, now and I suggest you go to grantland.com and you look for the article titled, Putting Fantasy Sleepers to Bed. Go read it. Go read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. I, I know I'm, I'm outlining his points, but you should read it. Absolutely. It's, it's worth reading. Because once you get to the end of the piece, we finally get 
to the root cause of Bill Barnwell's frustration with the term sleeper. He failed at finding sleepers last year. It's that easy. It's that simple. Now, before I get into what his sleepers were, his failed sleepers from 2014, if you go to playerprofiler.com forward slash articles, you'll get a sense for who some of my sleepers are because I'm not just going to go on here and rip a guy because the sleepers that he listed last year failed predominantly, not all of them. I'm not going to criticize a guy because he had a low sleeper hit rate last year. That's not the point of this criticism. And so if I'm, but if I am, if I am even going to list another analyst's failures from 2014, you better believe that I am going to give you a list of my own so that you can hold me accountable a year from now. So again, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash articles, and you will start to read about some of the players that are on my, let's say, top 10 sleeper list. So here's a top 10 quick sleeper list from me, Matt Kelly. Number one, and this is in no particular order. I'm just going down a list. Dan Heron, Leonard Hankerson, Jonathan Grimes, Jeff Janis, Buck Allen, Tyler Gaffney, Nick Toon, Philip Dorsett, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and Teddy Bridgewater. I say that so now we can talk about Bill Barnwell's 2014 sleeper predictions. They're as follows. Toby Gerhardt. Hmm. Well, so Toby Gerhardt was both an awful sleeper pick, but also he wasn't actually a sleeper because he was drafted in the fifth round. Same with Kelvin Benjamin. Pretty good, not an actual sleeper. He wasn't drafted late enough. Zach Ertz, not a sleeper. Bill, he was drafted as a starter on many teams. Emmanuel Sanders. Again, clearly... Again, the reason Bill Barnwell was frustrated, just frustrated by the term sleeper is because he's not doing it right. So I understand that. So he should contact me so I can explain to him what a sleeper is. Again, something that most five-year-olds know. But still, he, needs, he should contact me so we can set the record straight and then he can go on with his life and he can give people the correct sleepers. He can give people a list of sleepers that actually fits the definition of sleeper that almost everyone but him knows. So Toby Gerhardt, not actually a sleeper last year. Kelvin Benjamin, not a sleeper. Zach Ertz, not really a sleeper. Emmanuel Sanders last year, not a sleeper. Number five, DeAndre Hopkins. <sighs> he wasn't a sleeper either, Bill. Again, these were players that were drafted to be starters by fantasy gamers. Now, we finally get to his sleepers. Here we go. <laughs> get ready for this. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Hope you're sitting down. <laughs> Woo, I gotta take a breath. I'm gonna drink some water. This is, this is going to be good. Bill Barnwell sleepers from 2014. The source of his true frustration with the term are as follows. Justin Hunter, Kyrie Robinson, Carlos Hyde, Travis Kelsey. Fun fact about Travis Kelsey, he actually didn't show up on any more league-winning teams than a bunch of other tight ends last year. He wasn't the ascending league-winning tight end in terms of fantasy output last year, even though he demonstrated in limited snaps that he could ascend to Rob Gronkowski heights if given a full season with a full snap share. I digress. Moving on. Kyle Rudolph, Marcus Whedon. I also fell for Marcus Whedon, so I'm with you, Bill. I'm with you on that one. There's an article on XN Sports explaining why I thought Marcus Whedon was a, was a value pick. Whoops! Bernard Pierce, 
Devonta Freeman. Once you see Devonta Freeman, then you know it's revealed that Bill Barnwell doesn't really use playerprofiler.com. So more advice for Bill. Go check out playerprofiler.com. Type in Devonta Freeman, and that should solve your problem of putting Devonta Freeman on your sleeper lists. Kenny Stills, pretty good. And Ladarius Green. Ladarius Green in 2014, before Antonio Gates was suspended for PEDs. So that didn't work out for obvious reasons. Ladarius Green wasn't the starter. So, we'll give him Stills and we'll give him Kelsey last year. We'll consider those hits. And then you have to throw out the first four, or the first five, actually, because those don't qualify as sleepers. So, Barnwell's record last year, he was 2 for 10. Now, he could have been 1 for 10, he could have been 0 for 10, so it's not abysmal, but I should hope that my top 10 list hits at a higher rate. We'll, we'll hope for that. Hopefully, someone in this audience, a member of, of the buzzard army, will hold me accountable. But it would have been nice if Barnwell, after failing with his sleeper predictions in 2014, it would have been nice that instead of writing a reverse-engineered hatchet piece advocating for, you know, just shouting at the wind, howling at the moon, advocating for the global dismissal of the term, sleeper, a term that I use every day, and then concluding his article by telling me that I should go to sleep. Thanks for looking out for me, Dad. Bill, the father. Instead of doing that, why didn't he just go on Twitter and write, I stink at picking sleepers. That would have been so much easier. I mean, the fall of Bill Barnwell from relevance in the fantasy community has been interesting to watch. I have to say that. Because I was thinking about this article, and, and this is where my mind went to. I was thinking, it was back to nostalgia. I was thinking, wow, wow, remember when Bill Barnwell invented speed score way, 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 way back? And so I was, I was nostalgic for the old Bill Barnwell. And then seeing what he's become like a crotchety old sports columnist wagging a finger at me for using the term sleeper. I mean, it's just been an interesting fall to watch. It's been an interesting descent. To summarize, Bill Barnwell went from the guy that once upon a time invented speed score, which was the first advanced metric to combine a player's combine 40 time and their size. He essentially invented the concept of size-adjusted speed. And then we've applied that in all different areas of advanced metrics. Size-adjusted agility. We talk about that on this show. Size-adjusted burst. He was the first person to come up with that concept. That's a big deal. Bill Barnwell is a big deal. He invented speed score, and he's referenced in the playerprofiler.com terms glossary and will be forever. So he went from those heights, and then he decided to move to Narrative Street in the town of Grantland, and the analytics community hasn't heard from him since. I just wish that we could just continue to remember Bill Barnwell as he was, and not stumble into these articles that we're seeing now. I just wish Bill Barnwell had told his editors at Grantland, no, I'm sorry, I can't write a fantasy article this week. That's just not what I do anymore. That's not my world. And then he should have just gone to Twitter, as I said and wrote, I stink at picking sleepers. And then he should have gone to sleep.